Hi, Brian here. This is a special bonus episode with our friend and honorary uncle, John Lee. A few days ago, I saw that John was going to be offering a couple new seminars online, so I reached out to him and asked if he'd like to workshop his ideas with me beforehand and release it as a podcast. He agreed, and what you're going to hear now is a raw and unedited conversation between the two of us exploring the subjects of his two upcoming seminars. The first one is called The Odyssey of Aging, Transitioning from Hero to Elder, and we explore the question, how do men and women let go of outward-driven goals and the pursuits of youth and live the second half of life as elders, mentors, and guides? The second conversation is on creativity, addiction, and passivity, and it explores the differences between creativity and addiction and how addiction blocks creativity and stifles emotional maturation. As usual, I really enjoyed speaking with John, and I truly value him as a mentor and elder. So I hope you enjoy listening in on our conversation. And if you're hearing this before September 30th, 2023, and you're interested in checking out the live seminars, you can go to higherthoughtinstitute.com or just check the link in the description below. For you counselors and therapists, these seminars are approved for continuing education credits. And even if you're not in the helping professions, John's very practical and down-to-earth approach will make this information accessible and useful for anyone to get the benefit. Okay, that's all for now. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy. first part of our talk when we were talking about your um your seminar on hero to elder we kind of left off on um the you know one of the roles or functions of the elder is to to bless the wound of the the younger man or woman um and that wound is often uh you know a shame wound Mm -hmm. and i think there's some relationship here to addiction Mm -hmm. wouldn't you say because mm-hmm. you were talking about um, most addicts are dealing with a lifelong uh, shame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Could you, yeah. is that a good place to start for yeah, us? Is yeah. kind of the root, the roots of addiction. Yeah. So, so let's, one of the things I do, uh, not in this webinar, but, but I'll do it here anyway, is just make the distinction uh, that some people need to make is the difference between guilt and shame. Because those two words get used interchangeably, even by professionals, a lot. And and they're two radically different things. So I'll just name this for for listeners that may may not have worked with this too deeply. Guilt says, I made a mistake. I did something wrong. And now I've got to do what I can to make it right, to apologize. Uh, but it's I did something wrong or I made a mistake. And shame says I am a mistake. I am inherently defective. I am inherently broken. And that will push you right into addiction and right out of creativity. See, uh, creativity is a replacement for addiction uh, and 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 yet one of the things that I'm trying to uh, bring to bear in this webinar is <clears throat> most people 
men and women over the age of 30, 40, you ask them, what kind of creative life do you have? And most will say none. I well, don't have they a say, creative. Well, they say, I'm not creative. Yeah, I'm not creative. I, I or, hear it all the time. Me too. Me too. That's why I did this. Uh, or, or they'll say, well, I'm just not artistic. And I go, that's not what we're talking about. I'm not talking about uh, just fine art. I'm talking about the artful way in which you parent, the creative way in which you run your company, you know, uh, and if you happen to be a poet or, or a sculptor or a photographer, so be it. But what I wanted to do is expand the term creative, but also to show how creativity and addiction are so similar. And I'm going to give you a definition now. Uh, this is, a, again, a di di uh, dictionary definition. Addiction comes from the Latin word addictus and means to devote, surrender, deliver over, or give oneself up habitually. And I say this definition holds for addiction and creativity. But one is going to take you one place and the other is going to take, but you are going to surrender. When, when you're an addict or an alcoholic, you surrender and deliver over or give oneself up. Well, at the height or depth of creativity, you're given that materialistic ego self up and trying to tap into something. Um, but most people will just say, like what you said, you know, I, I'm just, I used to, and I go, when you were a kid, what did you do? And they go, oh, I build things out of Legos, or, you know, I, I, I drew all the time, or I made up little songs. And I go, well, you know, what do you think happened to that part of yourself? And of course, the answer is always it got shut down by someone, yeah. somewhere. Um, I remember in college, I was taking a piano course, a music course, and because of my dyslexia and attention deficit disorder, I, I can't follow any kind of instructions. And so I'm 20 years old, 19 years old, and I'm sitting down at the piano and I'm making up my own songs and the piano teacher comes by and says, you can't do that. <laughs> you got to do, go tell Aunt Brody, <laughs> you know, and, and if you don't do that, you got to leave my class. And, and I, I thought, you know, this is the way it was in uh, all, all parts of school. You got to do it the way we say, you know. Um, and again, of course, when you talk about art, you know, or, or that, I mean, people would say, my dad said, it. you know, John, you get a good job, you get some uh, tenure, uh, tenure, and uh, then you can be creative at 65 down in Florida. And I go, I know, I can't do that, you know. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people have been told, especially my generation, you can't do that and make a living. You know, and so I wanted to expand this this thing about creativity to not just uh, include uh, writing and poetry and 
and stuff. Yeah, I think that's interesting, the connection you make, uh, just going off that uh, etymology of addiction, um, that it's, it's because often people think of it as being a slave to something. Mm -hmm. I think that the oldest definitions of the word have to do with uh, being devoted and surrendering, mm -hmm. right? Surrendering mm -hmm. self to something. And so like, it reminds me of that Bob Dylan song, you're going to serve somebody, going to be God serve. or the devil. Uh -huh. So you're going to serve something uh -huh. and it's going to be creative or destructive. Yeah. Is that maybe a good way to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's exactly, you know, and, and what I wanted to, what I wanted to do in the webinar here is um you know really make the distinction that you know the the addicted person is not serving anybody but himself you know anybody it's it's a vanity ego uh narcissistic behavior uh one of the things we say in recovery is uh, addiction is the disease of immaturity. Um, and so I put these two workshops together because of what you just said, one does flow into the other. The elder is going to serve. Uh, the hero is going to take. Um, and then the creative person is going to serve and the addicted person is going to take. And so there's a symbiotic relationship there. Mm -hmm. You know, what I did, uh, uh, Brian, like I did with the um, hero and elder, I drew a line down the middle of a page and I put at the top creativity. And then um, on the other side, I put addiction. And so I broke these down as a way to convey what I'm trying to talk about and so i'll read a few of those to you mm -hmm. creativity number one the longing to remember addiction the longing to forget creativity wants to more fully engage with reality addiction is a power struggle with reality um Creativity is about introspection and reflection. Addiction is about projection of their shadows onto others. So one's introspection and reflection, the other one's projection. I'm drinking because I grew up in a bad home and it's your fault, you know. Um, uh, creativity generates possibilities addiction eliminates possibilities. Um, creativity attempts to receive the messages from the unconscious, our histories, present and future. Addiction silence, silences those inner and outer voices. And uh, just a couple more. Creativity is open to synchronicity Addiction is closed off to all coincidences. Mm -hmm. uh, creativity gives us and others energy. Addiction depletes, drains, and destroys our energy and others. 
So hoping that sort of compare and contrast process, you yeah. know, will go, oh, yeah, 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 I see that. Yeah, it certainly shows how they go together. Now, um, kind of like where we started with the, the shame. <clears throat> and uh, so I think so many people listening have had this experience where they were expressing themselves in some way as a young person and they got made fun of for it they got shamed for it and they you know these are the same people who say oh i'm not creative i'm not artistic it's like they internalize that judgmental demeaning voice and then they they walk around and live with it for the rest of the life even after they left the parents home mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that and that shuts down their creativity right? right and so like you were talking about in that compare and contrast uh creativity is listening to the inner voice addiction is shutting down the inner voice mm -hmm. now so if we've got this uh this judgmental shameful inner voice that's shutting down our creativity and connection to life and you know depleting our vitality and all that how do we deal with that inner voice like what's what are some of the strategies you found to be helpful you reminded me of something very stupid i did one time when somebody in an audience asked me that question how do you get rid of those inner voices well, i didn't say get rid of i know oh, i'm not falling okay. into that trap well how do you get them really you want to integrate them and turn them into a creative process um but i remember somebody said that and i said well i got a process that we'll do and they said, what, what's the process? And I go, all right, so step one is you turn your head like this. Right, crank your neck to one side. Like this. Mm -hmm. Step two is you take your hand <laughs> like this. Right. And step three is go get out of there. Like you can knock them out of your head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you can knock them out. No, it ain't that easy. Yeah. It ain't that easy. But what happens is Again, if you have elders and blessings thrown your way, the shame will eventually reduce and reduce. If you articulate that shame in, in a creative act of any kind, that'll reduce it. Therapy will help reduce it. Uh, poetry will help reduce it. Right. Just slow down a bit. Like... I think of that like um, expressing it, getting it out, uh, externalizing it. It's like um, it's like treating it with light or something. Uh huh. Right. Yeah, bringing it into the in, out of the out of the shadow. When I wrote my fly, the, my first book, The Flying Boy, I told the truth about about my shame, about my father son wound. I put it all out there. Again, not, not thinking it would ever become a published book. I, I just needed to bring this stuff into the light of day. And and consequently, uh, you know, nobody would publish it at first because it was just too stark of, of, of saying this is how my father beat me. You know, this is 1985. Um, so part of that is by articulating your shame in some kind of creative way or therapeutic way 
or mythological way or ritualistic way, you know, and, and that's what you and I have done is we just keep accumulating these different tools, you know, and, and creativity is just one of those tools, you know. Right. So, well, to help people out. Um, so one of the ways that I think you guys used to do it in the men's conferences is you would have men uh, take tape and um, place it where they're, where they felt their wounds to be. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So they kind of like make the invisible wound external. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yep, so that, that, that seems to me like a creative articulation of. Absolutely. Wound. Yeah. yeah. To make it external. Another way that you just reminded me of is we would have men write poems and and the blowback and the pushback because I can't write a poem. I don't know how to write a poem. And and our pushback was, yes, you do. You just were told that you didn't, you know, that you didn't know how or you couldn't. And and the truth is, is you just never made a space for somebody's sort of prodding you to do it. Um, and then another one was then to get them to read their poems, which is like, now I know this is not the best thing of it. Yeah, you get the that. whole disclaimer beforehand, <laughs> right? Yeah. And and so we would try to shut that down and just say, read, read what you wrote, you know. Yeah. And and it would blow people away a lot of times. It would just be so incredible, unique and beautiful and 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 stuff. So we don't live in a very creative world now. Um, technology, as you, everybody knows who's listening to this, has interrupted the individualist uh, creative flow, you know. Um, and as, as Robert said back in the 90s, before technology even came close to what it's doing now, is technology infantilizes us. And like I said a minute ago, addiction is the disease of immaturity. Yeah. And creativity is the process by which we grow up. Not overnight, but we grow up. Yeah. But the addiction keeps us in an uh, 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 infantilized state. You know. Yeah. I mean, my wife Debbie and I were just talking about this last night. Um, you know, we're addicted to images and information these days, you know, and we're sucking at the digital teat uh of the internet um yeah. constantly. And I think you know what I feel that does is it, it fills you up with other people's images and ideas, mm -hmm. and it leaves no room for the creative expression of what wants to come through you in mm -hmm. a unique way. There's no room for it. You're so That's full right. That's of right. all this other stuff. That's right. And so I, I always recommend to people, the first thing you got to do is moderate the intake. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to give some space for the, the inner wisdom, the creative vision, whatever it is, you got to make some room for that. Otherwise it's going to be blocked. Absolutely. And blocked creativity turns into addictive behavior. Hmm. See, 
So it's like an Ouroboros, right? The addictive Uh behavior blocks creativity, block creativity Mm -hmm. leads to more addiction. Yeah, it's, it's, it's terrible to see, you know, the truth is I could have gone on chat, was it chat? PT don't even PT? we don't have to uh invoke it here yeah, but, <laughs> but i could go on it today yeah. and say uh prepare me uh a presentation on creativity and addiction and i could have just sit back hit enter and out it would come and everything that's been written on creativity and addiction i don't have to come up with anything you know it's right there by pushing a button that's fucking scary to me you know yeah that's why i I wanted to do something on creativity i think that's great and i'm I'm glad you see that connection like it's scary to me too and um i think sometimes people think i might be making too much of it Mm -hmm. um but the way i see it is that when we outsource our creativity to the machine we give away a piece of our soul oh right like i think it's that serious man i do too i do too uh, you know, what scares me is sort of the same thing that scares me about climate change is people won't really believe the depth and seriousness of of climate change and uh, technology, you know. I mean, but I, I don't go out a whole lot, but when I go to restaurants, uh, or bookstores or whatever the the man and woman or two men sitting together both of them are on their iphone you know conversation has pretty much ceased <laughs> i was in a restaurant uh, a few weeks ago and i i was reading a book uh while i was waiting for my food and this like woman, a book you mean a book made of like, paper like a book yeah like what? a real yeah. what a relic well now here's here's how, how much of a relic it really was this woman walks by and says what are you reading and i said oh my god she said what's the matter i said nobody's asked me what i'm reading in, in years you're the first person who's done it and she sat down you know briefly and said well, tell me what you are reading. Man, and I've I, had that experience, you know, in the in the subway in Montreal, in the cafe out here in the small town. Mm-hmm. It's some it signals to other people, here's here's a kindred spirit, uh-huh. somebody who still appreciates the written word in a physical object, a book. And uh I think we're drawn to each other, right? And, and, we we'll, ask, and we're willing to engage another person. But we're we're hungry for it actually. Yeah. Right? I, that's Not why just I willing, but like I, I hey, let's talk books. I, I literally <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and she, what's the matter? And I go, nobody's asked me what I'm reading at a restaurant in years. Whereas in the sixties uh, and seventies, especially eighties, you go into a cafe. And, and particular types of cafes and there would be writers and readers and you'd walk by the table and and say, what are you writing what are you working mm-hmm. on and what are you reading yeah. what are you reading mm-hmm. is it good is it is it something you know that that has totally totally ceased in our culture well yeah. i mean not totally right well it that one happened. woman yeah that one moment <laughs> but uh 
you know, it, so it's it, the creativity part uh, is really, it's imperative that people keep reading and writing. Like Maya, Maya Angelou was asked, how did you become a writer? And she said, by becoming a reader. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, um, and now everything is so snippets, you know. Yeah. Um, so let me run, let me run yeah. something by you related okay. to that, John. Um, and because I think like part of the thing with addiction too is like the antidote to it is to live um, like a deeper, more soulful life. You know, mm -hmm. like I think that was Carl Jung's like main idea around addiction is that we're reaching for the wrong kind of spirit. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. there's been like going back to what you're saying earlier about the dangers of literal literalizing mm -hmm. and kind of confusing levels. Um, but I've been thinking a lot these days about how novels, not like fictional novels, literature uh, have been in my life so therapeutic in in many ways like one of the ways is it i think it taught me from a really young age empathy mm -hmm. because if i immersed myself in the life of a character of a novel i was seeing a whole world a whole perspective outside of my own and mm -hmm. um feeling the feelings as the character feels them mm -hmm. i mean that's one of the things i i think we get from reading novels but mm -hmm. uh th there's so much and I, I think there's something to it about like what were we doing before psychology? We were reading novels, reading novels. and and talking about dreams and, and uh -huh. things, very simple things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, what do you think about reading as therapy? Yeah. Oh, believe me. I, I mean, if you could see my novel collection, you know, it's pretty, pretty expansive and wide ranging because of what you just said. I mean, you know, you, you made me think of um, how... Uh, reading John Steinbeck's uh, Grapes of Wrath made me more empathetic with my own people who come from the Appalachians uh, Mountains and uh, the uh, people who migrated to California and poverty and, and prejudice and, and racism. stuff. So, I mean, just out of the book, Grapes of Wrath, you know, uh Hawthorne's book The Scarlet Letter you know again it's like how bigoted and small-minded and how we project our shadow onto men you know the great books you know can teach you how to be a human being and again most of those books are not read very often by high school college age everything is pushing them towards technology you know uh i can't imagine the last time you know the grapes of wrath was a required reading in in a sophomore high school you know mm. it just it's kind of fallen by the way but yeah i mean literary fiction especially sometimes i'll read trashy fiction but but most of the time I, I go for literary fiction. And for about five years one time, and this was not long ago, I stopped reading psychology entirely. No more self-help, no more psychology. And that's when I started a, about a four or five year uh, period where all I read was uh, literary novels. 
You know, it's just like they're going to tell me more than pop psychology. And I've read Jung and Freud and and all that. Um, but, you know, especially self-help psychology, there's very few things that are new and, and, and informative after you read a certain number of things. Oh.